You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. So for the record, uh, because I can kind of lead worship and kind of preach, I get asked to do this kind of thing sometimes, like the double dip. It's like the two for one deal. And I always say no. But I just love you guys and Riz and Zoe so much. I just thought I should try to pour myself out. But my, my, here's my disclaimer. If at, for some reason in the next hour I just pass out, it's your guys' fault. <laughs> I want to say this, though, about Riz and Zoe real quick. So just FYI, the reason that I told Zoe that Riz liked her was because Zoe and I had been traveling a lot. We were playing a lot of shows at the time in this band. And she was, had told me, hey, I kind of like Riz, but I don't know if he likes me. And, but Riz had already told me, hey, I like Zoe, but I don't know if she likes me. So I just, you know, felt like it was my God-given duty <laughs> to, like, match. But it was nice to hear Riz talk positively about it because in the last 12 years, I have never heard Riz talk positively about that situation. It's always like, Dommy, he went and told Riz. You know how Riz does this one. Dommy, he went and told Zoe. <laughs> Anyways, I, they are like family, and um, it's so special and such an honor for me to be here with you guys. Uh, you don't know me, most of you, but I feel like I know you because I've been praying for this church and for you guys, even though I don't know your names, many of you, but my wife and I and our church have been praying for you. So thank you for having me and letting me be with you. Um, we're taking a break from your guys' normal study. I think you're in the book of Philippians right now, and we're going to be in the book of Matthew. So if you have a Bible or some kind of technology, can you uh, open that up to Matthew 26? Matthew 26. And when you get it, say, got it. Yes. Was that a little kid that said, got it? <laughs> Matthew 26. If you got it, say, got it. All right. Let's start reading in verse 6. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. This is the word of God for us today. Let's pray. Lord, it blows my mind how you are able to take the same passage of Scripture and divide it up into a million different pieces and speak it perfectly and prophetically into different people's lives. And so we ask that you would take the truth of this passage and this, this story here and what this woman did and how you responded and how the disciples responded and you would 
apply it to our lives. You'd help us to see, learn everything from it that you want us to. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the good things you're doing here and in this city and in these islands. I ask that you would continue to do it. Today, Lord, our ears are open. Our hearts are open. I ask you to speak to us as you see fit. I give you my plans and my words and my preparation. I ask that you would um, lead me by your spirit, anoint me by your spirit to speak in alignment with your spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of this sermon is The Fragrance of Brokenness. Matthew 26 finds us at the very end of Jesus' life. In fact, this is two days before Jesus will be crucified. But before Jesus completes his work of dying and rising from the dead, Jesus goes to this little dinner party uh, at Simon the leper's house, is what this says, in a city called Bethany. Now, we don't, we don't know much about this dude named Simon the leper. We can assume that he was most likely a leper who had been healed because if he still had leprosy, he wouldn't have been permitted by Jewish law to have anybody over at his house. So most likely, Jesus had healed this man, and now he's having a dinner party. And Jesus knows it's a couple days before he goes to the cross, and it says that the disciples are there. And from John's parallel account in John chapter 12, we see that not only are the disciples there, but Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead, is also there, as well as Lazarus's brother, uh, Lazarus's two sisters, Mary and Martha. And in John's telling of the story, he clarifies that it's actually Mary, the sister of Lazarus, who is this woman here who pours out this alabaster flask of very costly oil on Jesus? Side note here, for some of you guys who study the Bible and are like, you know, Bible students, this is not the same Mary nor the same flask of oil that we see in Luke 7 with the woman of sin that most scholars think is this, a prostitute. That happened in uh, Galilee, which is really far away from Jerusalem, two years before this. This happened in Bethany, which is right next to Jerusalem, um, right before Jesus is crucified. So this story, it involves a broken flask. And as we'll see, Jesus redeems what looks like a broken and even hopeless situation and turns it into something valuable and beautiful. But what's noteworthy is that this kind of a thing has actually been the narrative of the life and ministry of Jesus all the way leading up to this point. Listen, Jesus, we see this throughout the entire Gospels, Throughout his life, Jesus uses brokenness to bring forth beauty. Jesus takes broken lives over and over again and restores them. Jesus heals lepers, turning the horrific disease into a conquered foe. He raises Lazarus from the dead, taking death and turning it into a conquered foe. And right before this, he comes and he enters into the city amidst praises and songs of people declaring, Hosanna, Hosanna. King Jesus comes in on a donkey, not on a horse, not in a chariot, but on a weak and feeble donkey, flipping the idea of power and authority on its head. And then after he comes into the city, he enters into the temple where he flips over the tables of money changers and religious people who are preventing the nation from coming and worshiping God. Jesus there transforming everything that we knew about the idea of religion and holiness and accessibility to God. And there he breaks the entire religious system of the day. Brokenness in its many forms was actually always the plan. But not just brokenness for brokenness sake, but brokenness for the sake of setting free what is on the other side of 
of brokenness, the, the fragrance, if you will, that is on the other side of brokenness. And that's why I'm calling this sermon the fragrance of brokenness. So there they are at the house of Simon the leper, and Jesus is reclining at the table. If you know anything about, uh, here, here's what that means. If you know anything about Jewish tradition, that means like this, okay, this is how they used to eat. Reclining at the table doesn't mean they were like sitting or leaning back in chairs. They would, they would sit like all leaning up against each other. That's why we see like uh, John laying his head on the chest of Jesus at dinner. It's a lot easier to imagine that because they're all laying on the floor already, okay? So they would sit around like this, laying, kind of like staggered with each other. There they are reclining at the table, eating dinner. And it says in verse seven, we just read it, that this woman, Mary, comes up to Jesus with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she pours it on his head. An alabaster flask, I think we have a picture here, but this is what an alabaster flask of. Alabaster is just a, a material that they would use in the first century to, um, to sculpt things or to make household utensils. In this case, a flask for oil. In the days of Jesus, you can leave it up there for a minute. In the days of Jesus, when a young woman each reached the age of accountability, or I'm sorry, availability to be married, her family would purchase one of these. And they would fill it with a precious ointment, a combination of spices and oils. And the size of the flask and the contents of the flask would directly parallel the, the wealth of that family. In this case, John tells us in his recording of the story that her flask of oil was worth about 300 denarii. That's the equivalent of about $25,000. So this is a $25,000 bottle of like perfume, basically. Okay, so imagine that. This woman's family, Mary's family, obviously had some money. And this flask of oil would have been part of her dowry for her future husband. When a young man would eventually want to marry her and come to her father, which is how they did stuff 2,000 years ago, and say... Father of Mary, will you allow me to marry your daughter? And if he said yes, then Mary would have taken this flask and in uh, response to him asking for her hand, she would have broken it and poured it out on his feet, signifying, hey, I am yours. This thing that was mine and represented me, this is now yours. This life is now yours. And so Mary is here with Jesus and this is Mary, the sister of Lazarus, who she saw die, and then she saw Jesus raise from the dead. This is Mary, who we see in the book of Luke, when, when they were at a different dinner, when her sister Martha was in the kitchen just serving and working her butt off, making food, that she was at the feet of Jesus, listening to his word, doing what Jesus said was the better thing. This is Mary, who two days from now would watch Jesus be crucified. And then three days after that, be one of the first to see him risen from the dead. Mary knows who Jesus is. And so she comes with this alabaster flask of very costly oil. And while Jesus and no doubt others are reclining at the dinner table, she takes this thing and breaks it open and pours it on his head. And we don't know if she warns him, if she's like, hey, Jesus is about to get messy, you know, or if she just like does it out of the blue, but she does do it. And the disciples, it says, are livid. Indignant is the word that scripture uses. They are livid. But we learn from John's gospel, it actually wasn't all the disciples who were mad about this. It was just one disciple. It was Judas. And Judas was angry. And maybe for good cause. I mean, listen, guys, we're talking about $25,000. 
They're like, why didn't you, why didn't you, why didn't you sell it? We could have got $25,000. You could do some serious good with $25,000. Now, granted, like John says, Judas probably wasn't planning on doing much good with it because he was greedy. But still, the case remains, what a waste, right? What a waste. I mean, this was most likely the most valuable thing that this woman owned. And here she is wasting it on Jesus. And the response is, Mary, why this waste? We could have done some real good with this. We could have done some real ministry with this. Mary, if you weren't going to use it for your dowry anyways, then why not use it to do something useful and lasting? But as we'll see, that's actually exactly what Mary did. Mary actually did the greatest thing that she could have done with the treasure that she had. But make no mistake, what Mary did was not a product of haste. Mary knew exactly what this would mean for her and the dramatic, drastic impact it would have on her life. Most likely, I'm sure you kind of are gathering this already, but this one act was about to cost her any normal or typical life that most every other girl in Israel would have dreamed of and eventually had. Remember, this was a key element of her dowry, and now it was gone, which means that this very well could have entirely taken away any chance that she had of ever being married. You didn't get married without a dowry 2,000 years ago. And if you weren't married in the first century, then you almost didn't have a place in society, right? You think our culture is male-dominated. There was no women CEOs or even women in the workplace 2,000 years ago. That's why when Jesus came, it was like absurd how he interacted and respected and gave women a voice and liberated women. It was like he was like a revolutionary, the way that Jesus talked and interacted with women. If you weren't married... 2,000 years ago, you were like an outcast of society on the fringes, almost not human because your husband would have been your identity. That's who you got your identity and your place and your authority from. This one act for this woman was not just an elaborate or what the disciples call as wasteful. This was entirely disrupting any future she had as a woman in Israel. But there was something bigger at play here for her. There was something greater than marriage and a future on the mind and heart of Mary. Mary knew what mattered most, and it wasn't a normal, safe, or comfortable life. It was Jesus. What mattered most to Mary was Jesus. And so in the presence of this leper whose broken life was restored by Jesus, and in the presence of her brother whose broken life was restored by Jesus. And the disciples who were coming out of a broken religious system, Mary takes her alabaster flask and she breaks it before Jesus. And as Mary breaks the flask and pours out the most valuable thing she has, she says, in effect, Jesus, all that I have is yours. I am literally laying my future, my plans, and my life as I know it before you. And as the flask broke, so did her plans. So did her normal future, and so did her life as she knew it. But Mary knew something that, quite frankly, many of us don't. She saw something that many of us have yet to see. She knew that in Jesus, there was actually a better treasure and a better future. She knew what the scripture says, that no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man that which God has prepared for those who love him. She knew that God had said to her people 
that he had a plan to give them a hopeful future. And so she let her own plans and her own dreams of a future break before him with the promise that his plan and his future was better. Mary brought what was most precious to her and she let it be shattered before Jesus. And in turn, she received something far better, something that could not be taken away from her because, listen, sometimes in life, something needs to be shattered in order to make way for something better. Sometimes in life, something needs to be shattered in order to make way for something better. And in this, we have much to learn from Mary who knew that Jesus was better and who knew that just like the rich oil of her flask could only get out if it was broken open, so the richest stuff in life is found when we allow our plans and our empires to break and surrender before God. But this type of full abandonment to God wasn't new for Mary. Remember Luke 10, I referenced it, that Jesus went over to the house of Mary, this Mary and her sister Martha. And it says there that Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, hearing his word, while her sister was slaving away, making dinner in the kitchen. Her sister Martha says she was distracted by all the preparations. And she gets mad. She says to Jesus, Martha says to Jesus, Lord, don't you care? that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself. Tell her to help me. Jesus responds to her and says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about so many things, but there are only a few good things and only one that is necessary. And Mary has chosen that good thing, which will not be taken away from her. What are the good things in your life that you could be doing? Jesus says, there's actually only one necessary thing? What is your greatest treasure? What is your uh, thing in your life that is most fragrant, that is most valuable? What's the best stuff? What's the greatest stuff? Is Christ not worthy of us bringing that to him? He invites us to his table to come and pour out that which is most valuable to us and in exchange receive something, someone rather, better. Mary may have given up a comfortable, normal life, but you know what she got? You could search the whole world over and over and never find so great a treasure as she found. Let me ask it another way. What could be your greatest act of worship today, reality? What could be your greatest act of worship? What what could be your greatest act of obedience? What would be the most right response for you to respond to who Christ is? Do that, and you'll never waste your life. Bring your treasure And though, bring your leprosy, bring your your things that are dying, bring your brokenness, bring your pain, bring your fear and pour that also out before Jesus and receive in turn the kind of comfort, joy and hope that can never be taken away. For Mary, this was it. It was likely she was never gonna get another alabaster flask. Not only was this expensive, but this one act most likely changed her life forever. But really, what else is there? Like, what are we doing, right? Like, if it's not Jesus, what are we doing with our life? Like, making some money, trying to, like, make ourselves happy, satisfying some, like, fleshly desires, trying to just, like, raise some kids who don't get hurt, don't get cancer hopefully someday and die. What are we trying to do? If we're not living for Jesus, like, why are we here? What's the point? What's the point if it's not eternal, if it doesn't have eternal value? Like the old C.T. Stud poem says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ 
will last. Mary gave up that which she could not keep to gain what she could not lose. She gave up the possibility of an earthly, temporal, possibly awesome, but temporal relationship with her future husband in exchange for an eternal relationship with Jesus. A flax that was intended to be broken at the feet of her someday husband, she broke before Jesus, effectively binding herself to him, saying, Jesus, I am yours. These alabaster flasks uh, back in the day, they, they would almost become a part of the woman who wore them. They'd wear them around their necks. And they'd almost become a part of, of their identity. So much so they were even allowed to wear them on the Sabbath. Um, this, was, this was part of Mary. This was like a part of who she was. Like when somebody looks at me in my physical appearance, they're like, I, they identify me partly by the fact that I have dreads. Right? Like they don't talk about usually my size or my height or whatever. They're like, the dude with dreads, white dude dreads, right? That's the first thing they go to. This was part of an identifying factor for who she was. There's a, a girl in our church back home in Ventura. Uh, her name's Katie. Risen Zoe, no Katie. And this chick wears some essential oils. Anybody know about essential oils? Anybody sell essential oils? Come on. Just raise Nobody in the whole room. I'm, you're lying. <laughs> You know when you walk into a room and somebody's all about the essential oils, right? As soon I'm preaching, and as soon as Katie Osbaugh walks in the room, I'm like, Katie's here, right? Like you could just smell her lavender and eucalyptus or whatever, frankincense, whatever it is, right? You could smell it as it enters the room. It is a part of what identifies Katie at our church. This scent from Mary that she would have worn around her neck on this alabaster flask, uh, emitting just a little bit of the scent. This was a part of her. This was part of what identified her. And when she broke it open and she poured it out at the feet of Jesus, on the head of Jesus rather, she was breaking open and pouring out her very identity. And in exchange, she took on his. So let me ask this, what's yours? What is your identity wrapped up in? What is your treasure or calling or gift or career or role that defines you? Or what is your pain or that brokenness or that trauma that defines you? Pour that out at the feet of Jesus. But also for Mary, this was an act of worship and it was an act of surrender and obedience. So What's our response then to Jesus? What's our response of, of worship? What is, what is our act of obedience or our act of surrender to him? Offer that to Jesus. And will people think you're crazy? Yeah. Irresponsible. Yep. Unwise, for sure. Selfish. But you know what? The people in that house that day thought the exact same thing about Mary. They thought her to be an irresponsible, a bad steward, self-centered, Selfish, unwise, a bad planner. Unfortunately, in response to most acts of extravagant worship and sacrificial obedience to Christ, this is how people will respond to you. And sadly, much of it will come from inside the church. Some of you have experienced that. I just, I just want to say on behalf of the church, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the way that we have responded to you when you've just been trying to obey Jesus, but it doesn't make sense to the world. And so we're like, dude, you're being an idiot. You're being irresponsible. I can't believe that you would do that. Listen, you don't have to listen to that. 
You don't have to listen to that. Don't let people tell you you're wasting your time or your life in living for or following Jesus or doing things that look crazy with Jesus. Nothing that is given to Christ is a waste. The only thing that is wasted is that which is not given to Christ. Charles Spurgeon, commenting on this passage, uh, remembers this story. I want to read this here. He says, uh, we're going to put a, a bit of it on the screen, but let me read this first. He says, all those who have done wonders for Christ have always been called eccentric and fanatical. Why, when Whitfield first went on Bennington Common to preach because he could not find a building large enough, it was quite an unheard of thing to preach in the open air. How could you expect God to hear prayer if, it was, if there was not a roof over the top of the people's heads? How could souls be blessed if the people had not seats and regular high-backed pews to sit in? Somebody in the plastic chair say amen. Whitfield was thought to be doing something outrageous, but he went and did it. He went and broke the alabaster box on the head of his master, and in the midst of scoffs and jeers, he preached in the open air. And what came of it? A revival of godliness and a mighty spread of religion. Listen, I wish we were all us ready to do some extraordinary thing for Christ, willing to be laughed at, to be called fanatics, to be hooted and scandalized because we went out of the common way and were not content with doing what everybody else could do or approve to be done. Hear what Charles Spurgeon said here? He said that the thing that was cause for laughing and mockery and ridicule in the life of George Whitfield was the very thing that arguably God used the most in his life. John tells us that the one who actually speaks up and gets mad at Mary wasn't just a disciple, it was Judas, the one who betrayed, sold out Jesus. Remember, though, uh, Judas' life ended in regret and destruction. So you don't need to give your ear to those type of people who talk like Judas or are the Judases in your life. Give your ear to people like, who sound like Jesus. Give your ear to what Jesus says. Listen to what Jesus said about Mary in verse 13. Truly I say to you, it was at the end of our passage. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done, what Mary has done, will also be told in memory of her. Hold on. Wherever the gospel is preached, Jesus said, in the entire world, what this woman has done this day will be talked about. Jesus didn't say that about the disciples who cast out demons. He didn't say that about Peter who would preach a couple of months from now and see thousands saved. He didn't, he didn't say this about Lazarus who died and then was not dead anymore, rose from the dead. He says this about this woman who poured it all out in sacrificial worship before Jesus. I don't know about you, but I want to be found in that company. I want to be found in that company, not in the company of the Judases of the world. Because who cares, right? Who cares what they think? The oil was not for the people in the room that day. It wasn't really even for Mary. It was for Jesus, and so is our lives. But listen, guys, if you find yourself more often than not, just a little warning here out of love, if you find yourself more often than not acting as the naysayer or the whistleblower in response to what the people of God are doing, you need to be very, very careful because if they are hearing from God, they are walking in the spirit. Oh my gosh, I thought that was a rat, but it was a bird. Whew. I was out. I was like, 
wait, really? I was about to leave. Because listen, if you're acting as the naysayer in people's lives and they're really hearing from God, they're really walking by the Spirit, you're not in good company being the naysayer. You're in the company of people like Judas. And in fact, you're in the company of the devil himself because it says that Satan is actually the accuser of the Christian. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Do not be found in his company. Blessed is the person who walks, who sits not in the seat of the scornful. Don't be found in the company of Judas. Be found in the company of Mary, pouring it all out in sacrificial worship before Jesus. You know, the difference between Mary and Judas is that Mary saw Jesus worth her entire life and her whole future. Judas saw Jesus as worth about 30 pieces of silver. But some of us are not that far from this. Instead of exchanging what we have in order to gain an intimate relationship with Jesus, we end up giving up intimacy with Jesus in exchange for the cheap, worthless thrills of this life. We can let this question be a litmus test for us. Where does our treasure lie? What is, what is most valuable to us? Because what's most valuable to us, that's our treasure, right? And Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This scene with Mary seems absurd, I know, but this is, this is what Mary was made for, to pour her life and her future out at the feet of Jesus. And in this, brokenness in the life of Mary was actually part of the plan. And this was the fragrance of brokenness as she pours out what is most valuable to her and receives the broken vessel, I'm sorry, pours out this broken vessel of uh, expensive perfume, wasting what she has, but in turn, receiving Jesus and intimacy with Jesus. But not only did Mary do this without knowing it as a preparation for Jesus' burial, which is what Jesus said, but her act, this is so fun, listen, her act was actually a living parable of what was about to come in the crucifixion of Jesus. It was a living parable of what was about to happen when Jesus would die on the cross and what was about to happen in the spiritual realm two days from now. Hear this. Jesus was the ultimate alabaster flask, broken as an act of worship to the Father on our behalf. Two days after this, Jesus would go and offer up his life as an offering to the Father. And when he did so, all of creation cried out in agreement with what he did. Yes, when Jesus died, all of creation echoed what was happening in the spiritual realm. Listen, by God's own doing, he had confined himself for millennia to the Ark of the Covenant, right? To a box. He had confined his presence to the Ark of the Covenant and confined his, uh, his presence to the Holy of Holies. All of humanity outside in the outer courts, disconnected from God, unable to come into intimate relationship with him, separated from God by our sin. And yet God wanting nothing more than intimate relationship with his people and for us to know the fullness of who he is and to receive an intimate relationship, uh, his presence like the the, the, the dry ground receives the rain. And so he sent Jesus. And as the prophet Isaiah wrote, Jesus was pierced, pierced, broken, broken open for our transgressions. He was crushed, broken. His body was crushed, broken 
for our iniquities. Like an alabaster flask, Christ was broken. And as Jesus breathed his last breath and cried out, it is finished. The Bible says that the sun stopped shining and it went dark. Great darkness fell over all the land. And then what happened? The earth starts echoing. What's happening in the spiritual realm? Earthquakes. The earth, it starts breaking. And then the tombs, they start breaking. And then the sting of death, it breaks as Jesus dies. And then the power of sin, it breaks. And then the power of addiction, it breaks. And then generational curses, they break. And then religious ideologies break, legalism breaks. And at the moment Jesus' body is broken and he cries out, it is finished. The veil in the temple breaks. The veil that kept humanity from God breaks open as Jesus' body breaks open on the cross. And just like the alabaster flask was broken and the pure nard, the, the good oil came rushing out. So the life of broken, uh, Christ was broken and the universe echoed what was happening in the spiritual realm. And as his life was broken, the glory of God began to pour out and fill the earth with the fragrance of the presence, power, and love of God. It was as if the divine alabaster flask had been broken open and God himself poured out like rain upon the earth. Like he foretold through the prophet Isaiah, I will pour out water on the thirsty land. I will pour out my spirit. God is spirit. God said, I will pour out myself on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. And just like the fragrance of Mary's offering filled the room that day, so the fragrance of Christ's offering filled the whole earth with the glory of God, like Isaiah wrote. And the whole earth is full of his glory. But not just the whole earth, Christian. If you're a child of God in here today, Christian, listen, your whole being filled with the glory of God, the presence of God that once was confined to the Ark of the Covenant and to the Holy of Holies now fills you. Now fills you. Hold on, let me say that again. God, infinite God, who speaks things and they appear who with the word just says cancer go and cancer starts leaving, broken bones be healed, they start being healed, blind people start seeing, they start seeing, dead people start rising, they start rising. That God, okay, who can find his presence to a box behind a veil. When Jesus died, the veil was broken. And God said, now you come in. And through the veil that is Christ's body, you get to enter in. And now I dwell in you. I live inside of you. Somebody say, that's good. That's good, right? The presence of God now dwelling in us. You yourselves are the temple of God, it says in 1 Corinthians. You are the dwelling place of God by his spirit, it says in Ephesians. You are the fragrance of Christ, it says in 2 Corinthians. That day on the cross, it looked bleak. It looked like all was gone as Christ's body was being broken. All anybody could see was brokenness. How many times we've we been in our lives, it's like, that's all I see, Lord. All I can see is brokenness. All I can see is death before me. But brokenness, listen, brokenness was always the plan. And this was the fragrance of brokenness. 
as through Christ's broken body, the Father poured out the fragrance of his glory on all the earth and all those who would receive him. The life of Jesus had to be broken. The pure, powerful, spotless life of Jesus had to be broken. And in exchange, the power, presence, and love of God came rushing out. And in your life, some of you know this all too well, in your life, in my life, will be broken. You're going to experience pain, maybe some kind of persecution, maybe some kind of relational division, death of different sorts, brokenness. But we have a friend in Jesus who has walked this path before us. Jesus pushed through the brokenness and fought through it for the joy that was on the other side of it. And he invites us into this, this mystery. He invites us into the irony of the, the beautiful fragrance that comes from brokenness. These alabaster flasks, as I said a minute ago, they were, they were hung around a woman's neck, but they were sealed. Okay, they were sealed. And so they would emit just a hint of the fragrance of what was inside. It acted like a, a perfume. But as the jar hung there, it was just a hint of what was inside. Listen to this. In order to get the fullness of the contents to be released from the flask, it had to be broken. And I got like 10 more minutes, so don't tune out because I think some of you need to hear this. Often the Christian must experience divine crushing in order for the fragrance of Christ to come out. And I don't know why exactly that is. Maybe it's because as we suffer, we suffer with Christ because there is fellowship with Christ in our sufferings. There is this, it's the Greek word koinonias. It means a camaraderie, a, a sharing, a partnership with Christ as we suffer. And so in the mystery of God, the fragrance of Christ pours out and in and through us as we suffer with him. I don't know. But I do know this, that God is glorified somehow when we suffer with Christ. And I know that's weird, but the kingdom of God is upside down. The first shall be last. If you want to get ahead, you should serve. Death actually brings life in the kingdom of God. God exchanges beauty for ashes. And listen, I want us to hear this. Not just does God exchange beauty for ashes, but God actually brings beauty from ashes. In the kingdom of God, death comes from life. And this is actually the way that the entire universe works. The entire universe echoes this truth. This is the process. Life, death, let me go this way. Life, death, new life. That is the way the leaves work. They, they die. They fall off. New lives. That is the way our cells work. Every seven years, our cells die. Regenerated. New cells. That's the way that, that fire works. We're having these crazy fires in, in Ventura County right now. And we had them a year ago. Biggest fires in California history a year ago. Charred the hillsides. But fertilized the hillsides. There's a lot of strawberries where, where we live. Best strawberries I ever had in my life. I asked the farmers, why? Why? They said it was the fire. It was the fire. It fertilized. Isn't that the Hawaiian Islands? The lava, the volcanic soil, the fire, that which destroys homes, destroys people's lives, is also the things that makes it fertile. 
so it can grow and look like how the Hawaiian Islands look. God uses death to bring life. And we see this even in the death of Jesus as he dies and the old covenant dies. And when the old covenant dies, the new covenant of grace is born in the kingdom of God. Death brings life. And in the kingdom of God, broken things and broken lives and broken situations produce beauty. And I just want to say for those of you who are feeling like you're right in the middle of it right now, I know it's hard to see past the trial. But you don't know what God is doing and what is on the other side of the breaking. You don't know what God is producing in you and pulling out of you. And you may not realize it, but the goodness, the, the pure nard is the word that the King James uses here for the oil. The pure nard is maybe right at the surface, but it may not be able to come forth until you are in some way or your life is in some way or that situation is in some way broken open. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Brokenness yields healing. Brokenness is required for restoration. So then consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And then let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Truth is, we have no idea what God's up to when we're in the middle of what seems like nothing more than a broken life. But hang in there, because there's no oil without the crushing of the olives. There's no pure gold without the fire. There's no diamonds without the pressure. There's no pure nard without brokenness. We see it through all creation. It's no different in our lives. God uses breaking to bring out what is hidden inside. Death in the kingdom of God brings life. Death doesn't get the final word, guys. Even something that seems as final as death does not get the final word, not in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, God flips the whole thing upside down and uses death to bring life. I have this massive tattoo on my arm if it was like on a piece of paper. It's 17 inches wide by 14 inches tall. And the reason it's so big is because there's 21 elements on here that represent a key element of my life um, of all the huge sectors of my life that were drastically affected by our son um, who lived for a day and then, and then died and then the pain that came after that. You know, find, finding out that our, my wife was pregnant with a baby who had a terminal illness and then watching him fight for his life for 22 hours and then watching him take his last breath and then the pain and everything that comes, the aftermath of trying to deal with that mentally, emotionally, spiritually, worst thing, hardest thing I've ever had to deal with in my life. And there's these 21 elements to remind me it's a memorial of all of these massive things that I have learned and ways I have grown and ways that the glory and the pure nard, the fragrance of brokenness has been revealed through our hearts being broken open by the death of our son. And because of, not in spite of, but because of that brokenness, our lives were radically, have been radically changed for the better. To the point where 
I'm able to every single day somehow look up to heaven and say thank you to God. Say thank you to my son. Somehow thankful even to the brokenness and the pain and the suffering for doing its perfect work in me and producing in my heart and my life things that could have never been produced any other way. Suffering brought forth the fragrance of life and hope and glory that would have forever stayed hidden had something not been broken open. Even something as final as, final as death doesn't get the final say in the kingdom of God. God uses stuff like death and loss and brokenness and pain to make something beautiful. And most times, the best stuff only comes through some kind of breaking loss or dying. It wasn't that the oil in this flask had no use before it was broken. It still smelled lovely, no doubt. But the best stuff and the fullness of what was inside could only come out after the breaking. And in God's love, he will sometimes allow breaking to come into our lives because he sees, he sees what is on the other side. He sees what is hidden in that flask because he put it there long ago and he wants to see it come out. And so he will sometimes in his love allow breaking to come into our lives in order to bring forth the good stuff. And unfortunately, there is no, just like on this alabaster flask, there's no shortcut to, to getting the good stuff out. There was, no, there was no cork here that could just be cleanly popped out to have the, the, the oil poured out. It had to be broken. Sometimes there's no shortcut to God producing the good stuff in us. Now, does that make it any more enjoyable? No, but it does help to know that there's something else at work than what we see on the surface. Paul says it like this in Romans 5. So then we can actually rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that they are producing in us good stuff, patience and perseverance and endurance and character and the kind of hope that does not disappoint. So don't resist it. I know it's uncomfortable don't resist it. You gotta lean into it. God in all of his infinite wisdom and love is working in you and using that situation to work in you something far better and eternal. And believe it or not, it is for his glory and for your good. Are you waiting for some kind of pouring out of God in your life? Are you waking, waiting for some kind of coming forth of God's power and presence in your life? Are you waiting for some kind of breakthrough? Listen, brokenness actually precedes breakthrough. So let it come. Let the breaking come. Let God do his perfect work in you. He is using your situation to press you like the olives, to bring out the oil, to forge you like the earth does the diamonds, to refine you like the fire does the gold. He is using your situation to break the alabaster flask of your life so that the hidden, eternal, valuable, divine treasures inside of you can begin to come forth. And I'll end with this. You know what the greatest treasure has been through the worst breaking that I've had in my own life? It's been the treasure of finding a depth of relationship with God that I, I, never, I never even dreamed was possible. I have this, I don't know if you can see it, there's like a house right there. Um, it's, it represents me coming home. Like I wasn't a backslidden Christian or something like that. It wasn't that, I wasn't walking in rebellion. I was just living in my father's house as a servant instead of a son for 20 years of my life. 
And if it hadn't been for the breaking, I would have never been brought home as a son. Not as a servant, serving God, but as a son who has access to everything in his father's house. And this is what Mary got that day. Got access to Jesus and everything that he was. So then, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. It's from you guys' book that you're studying right now. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. I want to know Christ, yes. To know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. When you're in the middle of it, I, I know it may seem like life is living you instead of your living life. But you need to know God is right in the middle of it too. Brokenness to some degree or another, guys, is actually always the plan. And this is the fragrance of brokenness that as God allows things to come in and break us, that the fragrance of Christ will begin to pour in and out and through us. And if you are willing to embrace the brokenness and the loss that may come, then the fragrance that we gain will be the greatest treasure of all in gaining Christ Jesus and knowing him deeper and deeper. And then having the world around us experience that same fragrance that God is working in us. Amen? Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word. I know, just imagining many in here today, Lord, are in this place where they just feel like, man, life, life is living me. I can't even keep up with it. I'm just being like beat up by life. Situation's broken, my body's broken. Relationships broken, plans broken, future broken, hope broken. But Lord, you bring beautiful stuff out of brokenness. So I ask that you would help our eyes to be set upon you, to have the reality of beauty coming from brokenness be etched in our hearts in our minds. Minister to your sons and daughters now, Lord. As we go into the second set, I see you speak to our hearts. You reveal your heart to us. Show us that you're near, present with us.